Liam, I know we were doing an episode 69 bit. Hey, it's episode 69, but I just watched Nadia win <laughs> the Great British Bake Off, and I feel like I could take on the world. Actually, yes, 69 bit. Let's do it, Liam. We can do anything right now. Nadia won the Great British Bake Off. Can't wait to rub my ball on a stick on another ball on a stick. 69. We fucked up. 69. We fucked up. We Tom threw a two-parter on episode 68. <laughs> okay, so let's clarify. I fucked up. I should have caught it. I should have caught it. Listen. I should have caught it. This one's on this one's on your boy Tom. <laughs> 69. <laughs> oh man. There is there's maybe no uh Excuses for how far we've messed up? No, just this this little, like, silly plunder or, or flounder that we've done uh, that, that's more indicative of our show is that we trip up on episode 69. It was so easy to get it right. We have an entire week to think and prepare. I'm already ready to go. <sighs> I know what I'm doing. Next week, episode 70 will be the episode... Will be <laughs> will epi- <laughs> episode 70, the 69th episode, spectacular. Episode 70, episode 69, we've got, two. We've got guests. We've got vests. We've, we've got, got chests. We've got... That's it. That's, that's all we've got. All the only things we have. I'm sorry, it was on very short notice. But this week, we've got a podcast to do. And that podcast is called... Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about major media. I'm your co-host, Tom Lockney, and I really like video games and internet culture. And I'm your crow host, Liam <laughs> Senior. Oh, and I'm... Very smart! I'm a crow! And I talk about movies and TVs because I fly onto the sense and I listen with my little crow ears and hear all the secrets. And then sometimes you'll nibble on Mickey Rourke's toe. Yep. Mmm, so full of cheese. And nutrients. And every week on this program, Liam and I tell each other a true story from our preferred medium that's centered around a theme. And this week, the theme was ratings again. Again. Trigger warning. There's a lot of racism. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah, you you warned me I about warned this. I warned you about this ahead of time. Well, I also did a little extra dirt work. That's what I call research. <laughs> dirt work. And it turns out it's also a brief, brief moment of anti-Semitism. Great. Excellent. So strap in, folks. Laying on me with those calloused palms from all that dirt work. So I've talked about how once the film camera was invented, it was like immediately used to make some form of pornography. <laughs> like without, I mean, just. Like right off the bat. <laughs> oh, this thing records images? <laughs> I haven't jerked off to something good in months. Um, but the general public doesn't want to see just pornography. No. no one wants to see pornography with their kids. Oh, no. I hope. But what can people see? What's good? What's appropriate you know there is it just madness like what what can what can my six-year-old see there are only three movies one of them is the incredibles and the other two are basic instinct one basic instinct two (laughs) i let my six-year-old see all of them (laughs) bad parent the history of motion picture laws is long and torrid sometimes boring sometimes fascinating and sometimes gross Today we're just going to kind of scratch the surface with a focus on one of my favorite periods in film history, pre-code Hollywood. 
1922, after some risque films and a series of off-screen scandals involving Hollywood stars, the studios enlisted Presbyterian elder William H. Hayes, a figure of unblemished rectitude, to rehabilitate Hollywood's image. Hayes was later nicknamed the motion picture Czar, uh, C-Z-A-R. Oh, Czar. Czar. I always, always, like, hesitate on how to pronounce that one. Hey, I might be wrong, too. Who knows? Um, He was paid $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That's almost one and a half million today. Oh, my God. Um, For basically just making sure that, like, no boobs in the shot now. (laughs) He was the former postmaster general under Warren G. Harding. And the former head of the Republican National Committee. Oh my Jesus Christ. All right. So I bet he's got great views on women. And he served for 25 years in the motion picture industry. Uh, He introduced a set of recommendations dubbed the formula. And the studios were advised to heed this. And all movie plots basically had to be pitched to him to make sure that they were moral and good. Okay. Um, This, This sounds... A little bit like fascism, Liam. Well, here's the thing. Pre-code Hollywood refers to the brief era in the American film industry between the introduction of sound and pictures in 1929, so that's like about seven years after Hayes starts working, and when they started actually enforcing the Hayes Code in about 1934. So for the first 16 years of his career, most people were like, we're not going to listen to you. (laughs) We're going to put depravity on everything that's really good it, it it even took four years when they like formally made a code for people to actually get in line they were still like fuck you i'm Excellent. gonna do whatever i want it's like how we it's like how we all drive like 10 miles an hour above the speed limit it's mm-hmm. kind of like that as a result films in the late 20s and early 30s included depictions of sexual innuendo okay this is a really tough word to say miscegenation Miscegenation. Which is uh, uh, interracial couples, basically. Profanity, profanity, illegal drug use, promiscuity, prostitution. profanity? (laughs) Infidelity, abortion, intense violence, and homosexuality. Strong female characters were ubiquitous in such pre-code films as Female, Babyface, and Red-Headed Woman. Gangsters in films like The Public Enemy, Little Caesar, and Scarface, the original Scarface, not Mm -hmm. the one in Palma, were seen to be heroic rather than evil. Films also examined female subject matters that would not be revisited until decades later in, the, in, in films. Like, they were just given carte blanche because no one listened to the rules. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's an interesting commentary on society that is like, one day, if we wanted to, we could technically all stop following the rules. Mm-hmm. I kind of have a theory that, like, the greatest barriers to, I don't know, like, violence and anarchy in our society... Is the Mary Barriers. ...are social. <laughs> and and Mary and Barry. Mary Barrier. No, Mary Barry. Mary Barry. From British Bake Off. Yes. I'm confusing it with former mayor of DC, DC, Mary. DC who Mary and Barry. Smoking crack. crack. No, no, no. Mary, <laughs> Mary Barry just our got dabs. Our fucking rules. God, love you, DC. Shout out. Uh... So basically, like, these movies were allowed to have characters who would start the movie as bad guys and be able to redeem themselves. A lot of really big stars came out of this era that were able to cross into code, like, when the Hayes Code was enforced. Clark Gable was probably the biggest one. So in 1927, Hayes was like, all right, I'm going to make a list of don'ts and be carefuls, and this will be the list uh, that they'll have to follow. Would you like to hear the entire list? Absolutely. That 
those things which are included in the following list shall not appear in pictures produced by the members of this association in uh, irrespective of the manner in which they are treated. Pointed profanity by either title or lip. This includes the word God, George. <laughs> Sorry. I'm excited. This includes the words God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, unless they be used irreverently in connection with proper religious ceremonies. And of course, everybody's favorite part of the Bible, Jesus' cousin, George. <laughs> yep. Hell, damn, God, spelled J. God. Spelled G-A-W-D. To a quad. And every other profane and vulgar expression, however it may be spelled. Any suggestive nudity, in fact, or in silhouette, and any lecherous notice thereof by uh, other characters in picture, the illegal traffic in drugs, any inference of sex perversion, white slavery. <laughs> what? Wait, right? wait, right? wait, right? wait, wait, right? Pump the fucking brakes. Who was? There were no movies about white slavery as far as I'm aware. Right? Weird, and I hate it. Um, Ugh. Uh, almost like, almost like white people have always thought that they were the victims from the beginning of time. Yeah. Uh, sex relations between white and black races, sex hygiene and venereal diseases, scenes of actual childbirth, in fact, born <laughs> silhouette. <laughs> yeah, all those silhouetted childbirth. Children's sex organs. Okay, it, okay. One, yeah. So far, one okay. thing has kind of made sense. A broken clock is right twice, twice a, a day. day. Uh, ridicule of the clergy. Fucking great. Don't make fun of my friends. Willful offense to any nation, race, or creed, but you can't have interracial stuff. But you can't have interracial stuff. Idiots. And also no black people in a position of power. He hasn't said that yet, but But I'm guessing he makes an appearance in one form or another. They said white slavery. (laughs) That need not be said more. Uh, and be it further resolved that special care be exercised in the manner in which the following subjects are treated and that vulgarity and suggestiveness may be eliminated and that good taste may be emphasized. Mm. The use of the flag, international relations, arson, the use of firearms, theft, robbery, safe-cracking, and dynamiting of trains, mines, (laughs) buildings, etc. Brutality, impossible gruesomeness, technique of committing murder by whatever method. Oh, shit. Smuggling. My movie about just punching myself in the dick until it's gone is... Oh, it's kaput. Out the window. Third degree methods. Actual hangings or electrocu- uh, electrocutions is legal punishment for crimes. Sympathy <laughs> for criminals. Attitude toward public characters and institutions. Uh, apparent cruelty to children and animals. Branding of people or animals. The sale of woman or of a woman selling her virtue. Rape or attempted rape. First night scenes. Man and woman in bed together. Deliberate seduction of girls. <laughs> the institution of marriage. I don't... Okay. Wait, Sur- they weren't allowed to put marriage in it? I guess not. Weird. Surgical operations. The use of drugs. Hey, wait. Is it possible? Was this guy... Was this guy single? I, 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 <laughs> titles or scenes having to do with law enforcement or law enforcing officers. Excessive or lust, lustful kissing, particularly when one character or the other is a heavy. So I had to look up what a heavy is, and oh, it just means no. criminal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I'm glad it wasn't like a fat phobic thing. Beginning in the late 1933 and escalating through. Oh, that's the end of the code. Okay. Um, so they <laughs> couldn't get it enforced. Good voice, by the way. Good job. Thank you. Beginning in, in late 33 and escalating throughout the first half of 1934, American Roman Catholics launched a campaign against what they deemed the immorality of American cinema. This plus a potential government takeover of film censorship and social research seeming to indicate that movies which were seen to be immoral could promote bad behavior, it was enough to pressure to force the studios to capitulate to greater oversight. 
even though that movies that like had more sex and violence made more money like they, the government and the clergy didn't care weird i guess i guess maybe the greatest threat to capitalism is religion i don't know so these guidelines became enforced all the ones i read <laughs> amazing the, the every single one yeah okay so no cops no spies so if, so we'll get to it oh man that guy walked down a street that movie was fucking incredible he turned left at the end but I then thought he was gonna turn right but he turned left but then in a post-credit scene he realizes he forgot his watch at the motel <laughs> he just goes back i thought the train was coming right at me <laughs> So these guidelines became enforced, and the architects behind this whole thing were Catholic layman Martin Quigley and raging anti-Semite Joseph Breen, okay, who this... once refer referred to Jews as uh -oh. the scum of the earth. Okay. Following July 1st, 1934, a decision by the studios put the power over film censorship in Breen's hands. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. He, ap <laughs> he appeared in a series of newsreel clips promoting the new order of business, assuring Americans that the motion picture industry would be cleansed of the vulgar, the cheap, and the tawdry, and that pictures would be made vital and wholesome entertainment. Mm -hmm. All scripts and films would have to go through him, a man who once called Jews the scum of the earth. I was about to say, this sounds a lot like fascism, Liam. Um, the first film Bream censored in production stage was the Joan Crawford film, Forsaking All Others. You'll remember Joan Crawford all the way back from episode four. Although independent film producers vowed they would give no thought to Mr. Joe Breen or anything he represents, they caved on their stance within one month of making it. The major studios still own most of the su successful theaters in the country, and studio heads agreed to stop making indecent films. In several large cities, audiences booed when the production seal appeared before films, uh, but the Catholic Church didn't give a shit and was super pleased, and the Pope of the time stated that the U.S. film industry has recognized and accepts its responsibility before society. Literally, all it comes down to is the, the, the horrible people were in power. Stars such as James Cagney redefined their entire image. He played a series of patriots instead of his... So he used to play, like, gangsters, but then when he played criminals after that, he would, like be shown as coward, a coward, so at the end they could be like, you see, that man was a bad person after all. Okay. Uh, Groucho Marx had to have half of his jokes completely ripped out of the movie because nobody likes fun anymore. Um, some preco movies suffered irreparable damage from censorship after 34. When studios attempted to reissue films from the 20s and 30s, they were forced to make extensive cuts. Films such as Matahari, Aerosmith, and A Farewell to Arms exist only in their censored versions. Oh boy, they don't—they don't lose their arms in that one. They yes, keep them, they the, keep whole them time. the whole time. And Ernest Hemingway turns to the camera and goes, "Ain't it eleven? It's a very bizarre cut. Many other films survived intact because they were too controversial to be re-released, such as *The Maltese Falcon*, which was remade a decade later with the same name, so their neg negatives were never edited. In the case of *Convention City*, which Breen would not allow to be released in any form, the entire film is just missing. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Although it has been rumored that all prints and negatives were destroyed by Jack Warner in the late 30s, research shows that there was a negative vault. It was junked, though, because of nitrate decomposition. So it was basically <sighs> that like... sucks. <clears throat> that's that... People always talk about how ephemeral digital media is, but, you know, like, we always forget that back in the day, you made a thing and it was going to last for 20 years and then never again. By the 50s, the code had totally begun to lapse. Obviously, like, the dumber laws were slowly lapsed out when it's like, you can show a law enforcement officer if they're the main character and they're moral. Mm -hmm. But with the rise of exploitation movies, risque foreign films, and just television in general, filmmakers just had more confidence to be like, fuck the rules. And then by the late 60s, the enforcement had basically been impossible, and the production code was abandoned completely. Yeah, because, like, what, what would... 
What could they do? Yeah, no one gave a shit. And then the MPAA began working on a rating system under which film restrictions would lessen. The MPAA film rating system went into effect on November 1st, 1968 with four ratings. G for general audiences, M for mature content, R for restricted, under 17, not admitted without an adult, and X for sexually explicit content. X basically turned into NC-17 because X movies aren't really made anymore. We'll talk about that in a later episode. Um, and then in the 80s, PG-13 would be introduced because of the Temple of Doom. But everything else pretty much... Oh, and then PG would also be... No, sorry. PG would... PG or PG-13 uh, came out because of Temple of Doom. We'll talk about it. It's like a very interesting story in the cool. future. But All right. That is Pre-Code Hollywood and how a bunch of crazy risque films were lost and then no one gave a shit anymore. <laughs> Man. That's weird, right? Very strange. And it's so it's so funny that... It's kind of proof that you can just not follow the rules if you want to. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break. Yeah, we sure are. And then when we come back, Tom's going to tell a story. But first, we're going to hear about something else from the podcast network. Hey guys, it's Liam Sr. here. I have to talk quietly because it's late at night and everyone is asleep. We don't have an ad for it yet, but Eric and I are doing a new podcast every Sunday called Sunday Morning Hangover Cure. We'll have an actual ad for it when we get our shit together. Boy, that was a super duper fun ad. I would great. go listen to that show that I assume is Sunday Morning Hangover Cure. I don't know. We haven't made an ad for it yet, so that'd oh. be hard to do. <laughs> All right, then let's get the, let's try nope, this. Nope, we're keeping it in. <laughs> um, Tom, tell me a part two of an earlier story. Previously on Media Majors. <laughs> Last week, I talked about the origins of the Entertainment Software Rating Board, or the ESRB. It is a government-mandated regulatory body meant to rate and categorize the content of video games so as to better inform a playing public. It is a story about the government taking video games to task and the government emerging victorious. As stated at the end of my story last week, it would not be the last time that video games, both as an industry and a culture, would have to face federal reckoning. Cue sounds and dramatic music, theme song. <laughs> ESRB 2, The Reckoning. Chapter 1, Back in the 90s. Though the ESRB is perhaps the most visible organization to come out of early 90s video game legislation, the International Digital Software Association is equally important, if not perhaps more so. You've likely never heard of the IDSA, and that's because they've actually changed their name. Uh, they did it back in 03. They are now known as the Entertainment Software Association, and I will refer to them as They're now known as the pop punk band Yellow Card. <laughs> I'll refer to them as such for the rest of the story, even pre-name change. They are a trade association of major developers and publishers with heavy hitters like Activision Blizzard, EA, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Konami, Deep Silver, Bethesda Softworks, Bandai Namco, and others among their membership. Damn. This is, yeah, like, these are the fucking heavy hitters of video games. They are the people who organize the Electronic Entertainment Expo, though they also serve another function, video game advocacy. See, even after the Video Game Rating Act of 94, video games remained under a widespread critical lens. The public, and more importantly, both the state and federal government, is unwilling to treat the ESRB as a job well done. The push against violent content of video games persists. The, the narrative that games have a direct correlation with violent behavior actually grows in popularity, bolstered by a series of violent incidents that the public connects back to video games, some tenuously, others less so. 
This era will one day get its own story as it's an almost decade-long moral panic that spawns such figures as Jack Thompson, infamously anti-video game disbarred attorney. He's a fun one. It is a time punctuated by murders, suicides, and assaults that all get linked back to games. Uh, mass shootings, most famously in the aftermath of the 1999 Columbine High School Massacre. I'm not here to talk about the involvement of video games in Columbine. There's a lot of contradictory information out there due to the widespread panic caused by the shooting and the reactionary defensiveness of most pro video game advocates. I will say this though, it's undeniable that Klebold and Harris were influenced by the media they consumed. There are several other factors that played into it that were ignored by the media and culture. Like, hey guys, these are two white men. Like every other mass shooter in the US. Here's the thing though, it doesn't matter what people think about these things now. Back then, it was just a given that Doom caused Columbine or that the Matrix had caused Columbine, but this was all really bad. And video games were doing a terrible job of arguing their case. Here's an excerpt from the opening of Voices from the Hellmouth. Quote, in the days after the Littleton, Colorado massacre, the country went on a panicked hunt. The oddballs in high... Jesus Christ. The country went on a panicked hunt. The oddballs in high school. A profoundly ignorant and unthinking response to a tragedy that left geeks, nerds, nonconformists, and the alienated in an even worse situation than before. Stories all over the country embarked on witch hunts that amounted to little more than capitalized geek profiling. These were the type of articles that were like written in defense of video games at the time where it's like, yo, you're, you're profiling geeks. Like, like it's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Oh boy. The public essentially thought that video games, music, and movies had been the cause of the shooting. This is the public relations nightmare that the ESA has to combat. Public antagonism towards the video game industry was striking a fever pitch, and they had righteous fury on their side. The moral conviction that video games were a clear and present danger, not just to the minds of young men, but to the physical well-being of society as a whole. The U.S. wanted something, anything, to be done. Chapter 2. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. The Governor, actually. Uh, I did a little twist on it. Uh, <laughs> My uh, twist was just saying a different thing yeah. at the end. Wow, you really shamal on me. <laughs> in the mid-2000s, legislators attempt to pass laws criminalizing the sales and rentals of violent, sexually explicit video games to minors. This is a national trend. These draft laws could be found in Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, California, etc. But the ESA was there to combat them every step of the way. They're not doing too shabby for themselves either. They managed to shut these laws down in basically every state. The day one of these laws was passed in Illinois, the ESA filed a complaint, went to court, and won on grounds of First Amendment rights, with a three-judge panel referring to God of War as, quote, a game that is essentially an interactive digital version of the Odyssey, end quote. This is gonna maybe become a theme that I don't think judges really, like, get media. Yike. <laughs> Ridiculous as that sentence is, it is ultimately indicative of how a lot of these court cases are won. I, I don't see anything wrong with Mario. It seems to me like it's just an 8-bit Iliad. It's just like Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. <laughs> it's Portnoy's complaint, they but with both, Koopas. They both wear overalls. Old people are stupid. <laughs> these court cases are won by invoking arts protection under the First Amendment. 
Here's another quote from another judge who cited in favor of the ESA. Donkey Kong is just Romeo and Juliet. Video games contain creative, expressive free speech, inseparable from their interactive functional elements, and are therefore protected by the First Amendment. Hell End yeah. quote. Additionally, many of the judges repealing these laws cite the fact that those making them have set extremely ill-defined boundaries, making it difficult to support the laws. Frankly, this speaks to, one, the power and money of the video game industry. Since they've organized, they have the collective money and power to fight for their rights. Uh, almost like banding together in some form of, like, I don't know, union is helpful when your rights are in question. And you'd think that this would make game companies more pro-union, but what do I know, no, right? No, no. Two, the incompetence of our country's legislators and congressfolk. They were presented with one of the easiest tasks, had overwhelming public support from people in power, and had the advantage of video games still being a fairly young and disorganized industry. And they still couldn't get anything passed. Nope. Legislators realize that their tactics aren't working, so they try other avenues. Hillary Clinton, Joseph Isidore, Joe Lieberman, hey bud, hey bud. and Evan Bay attempt to pass the Family Protection Act in 2005, a bill which would have required game companies to receive a rating from the ESRB in order to be sold. After last week's episode, I'm sure I don't have to tell you why that's bad and dumb, it's, it's a fiscal gatekeep. And the bill fails to pass the Senate. Thank goodness. This is an era of legislative touch and go for video games. You know, set them up, knock them down, but keep swinging and you're bound to miss. In 2005, AB 1179 passes in California. The bill is the brainchild of Democratic Senator Leland Yee, outspoken anti-video game figure. Uh, th this isn't important, but it's a fun fact. Mr. Super Anti-Gun Video Games Will Make You a Murderer Leland Yee currently faces charges for money laundering, receiving bribes, dealing firearms, and illegally importing firearms. One of his alleged cohorts is also named Raymond Shrimp Boy Chow. That's what that's what the kid was actually saying. It wasn't shrimp heaven now. It was shrimp, shrimp heaven. Chow. Shrimp boy chow. He knew. He knew. He tried to warn us. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bim Man fans. You could have saved them. I gave you all the shrimp. He pled guilty to charges of racketeering and was sentenced to five years in prison. Anyways, end of tangent. Anyways. Yee's bill. Yeah, bill. Kanye's bill. AB 1179 was signed into law by then governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every single part of this story is absolute clown shoes. Yeah. This meant if left unchallenged, games would have to be labeled with a rating from a regulatory body beyond the ESRB and that the sale of violent video games to minors, anyone under 18, would result in a one thousand dollar fine every time you say miners i picture coal miners <laughs> in their house like i just want to play a call of duty what oh. do you mean i got no sir we mean people under 18 oh okay that makes sense it's a lot more sense we're gonna get into some of the legalese here but no. I, i'm so sorry but i think it's important we see how violent video game is defined in the language of the bill uh, i failed legalese in high school okay Violent video game means a video game in which the range of options available to a player includes killing, maiming, dismembering, or sexually assaulting in an image of a human being if those acts are depicted in the game in a manner that does either of the following. A. Comes with within all of the following descriptions. I. A reasonable person considering the game as a whole would find appeals to a deviant or morbid interest of minors. I. I. It is patently offensive to prevailing standards in the community as 
to what is suitable for minors. I, I, I. It causes the game as a whole to lack serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. B. Enables the player to virtually inflict serious injury upon images of human beings or characters with substantially human characteristics in a manner which is especially heinous, cruel, or depraved, and that it involves torture or serious physical abuse to the victim. For uh, Two. For purposes of the subdivision, the following definitions apply. A. Cruel means that the player intends to virtually inflict a high degree of pain by torture or serious physical abuse of the victim in addition to killing the victim. B. Depraved means that the player relishes in the virtual killing or shows indifference to the suffering of the victim as evidenced by torture <gasps> or serious physical abuse of the victim. Heinous, see, means shockingly atrocious. For the killing depicted in a video game to be heinous, it must involve additional acts of torture or serious physical abuse of the victim as set apart from other killings. D, serious physical abuse means a significant or considerable amount of injury or damage to the victim's body, which involves a substantial risk of death, unconsciousness, extreme physical pain, substantial disfigurement, or substantial impairment of the function of a bodily member, organ, or mental faculty. Serious physical abuse. Like to, I think you get the idea. Airman from Mega Man 2. <laughs> Even though this definition is really wordy, it's extremely vague and frankly covers a lot of video games. It's impressive how little they said with how much I had to speak. And this scares the shit out of interested parties. Because all it takes is one of these laws. And then there's a precedent, and then there's a legal precedent that other people can cite. Even before this bill gets signed into law, the ESA and the EMA, Entertainment Merchants Association, prepare a lawsuit to overturn the law due to fears that this broad definition of violent video games would hurt sales. The EMA filed suit with the United States District Court for the Northern District of California, and in 2007, the judge rules in their favor, citing the First Amendment. Schwarzenegger appeals, saying, Many, stu <laughs> no, no, no. Many studies show the link between playing ultra-violent video games and violent behavior. We have a responsibility to our kids, <laughs> to our kids and our communities. I've got a million Schwarzeneggers and they're all terrible. And our communities to protect against the effects of games that depict ultra-violent actions. He appeals to the Ninth Circuit, a federal court with jurisdiction over certain district courts, such as the one belonging to Schwarzenegger. This is a boring part. Basically, all you need to know was that while the Ninth Circuit was unwilling to wholesale throw out AB 1179, they agreed that it was restrictive on First Amendment grounds, specifically as it pertained to minors, and decided it was ultimately unconstitutional. You'd think that, given the precedent set in so many other states, and the precedent set by the repeated verdicts characterizing AB 1179 as unconstitutional that Schwarzenegger and co. would give up. But no, he takes it right to the top. Chapter 3, Supreme. In May of 2009, Governor Schwarzenegger appeals to the Supreme Court looking to overturn the verdict ruled by the Ninth Circuit. Right, right. To the shock and worry of the video game industry, the Supreme Court agrees to hear their case with the first hearing scheduled for November 2nd, 2010. The court has two simple questions for the parties involved. One, does the First Amendment bar a state from restricting the sale of violent video games to minors? Two, if the First Amendment applies to violent video games that are sold to minors and the standard of review is strict scrutiny under Turner Broadcasting Systems, Inc., the FCC, 
is the state required to demonstrate a casual link between violent video games and physical or psychological harm to minors before the state can prohibit the sale of video games? What ensues is a bizarre legal battle, with each side attempting to appeal to the rationale of people who do not play or understand video games. For example, the pro-video game side of the case presents an argument that Mario Brothers fits the definition of a violent video game. This violence is compared to those in cartoons, acceptable and harmless. Kind of predicated on cartoon violence not affecting people, but sure. Both sides present contradictory studies claiming that video games either do or do not have a direct correlation with violent behavior. Mortal Kombat, once again, makes the rounds. The reboot had just come out and has all those really like gory, high-def fidelities and it was- Fatalities? Fatalities. Ah, the fidelity. Oh man, so loyal to their spouses. Each side argues their case until in June of 2011, the justices reach a verdict. Seven to two, the justices rule in favor of video games. They're fun! Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, Ginsburg, Kennedy, Roberts, Alito, and Scalia voted that AB 1179 was unconstitutional, with Justices Breyer and Thomas voting in dissent. Quote, like the protected books, plays, and movies that preceded them, Video games communicate ideas and even social messages through many familiar literary devices, such as characters, dialogue, plot, and music, and through features distinctive to the medium, such as the player's interaction with the virtual world. That suffices to confer First Amendment protection. End quote. Homophobic menace to society and women seeking individual rights, Justice Antonin Scalia. Once ate an entire pizza covered in pig fat. <laughs> Probably. Other conservative justice Samuel Alito wrote the concurrence, which can be summarized as a definite endorsement of video of games Waluigi. As, free, as Waluigi as free speech, punctuated with skepticism over their supposed inability to affect those who play them. Justices Clarence, Thomas, and Stephen Breyer each wrote separate dissents. Breyer argued that the restrictions imposed by AB 1179 were modest and that the case was ultimately less about censorship than it was about education. So I, I guess he just wasn't really paying attention. Thomas's dissent was a little different. He claimed that the Founding Fathers, quote, believed parents to have complete authority over their minor children and expected parents to direct the development of those children, end quote. He also stated that the First Amendment uh, quote, does not include a right to speak to minors or a right of minors to access speech without going through the minors' parents or guardians. So Clarence Thomas kind of doesn't think that minors should have free speech. Cool. Interesting. It should also, Clarence by the way, Thomas be, noted, be noted that Clarence Thomas is also a serial harasser, lied during his confirmation hearing about such matters, and is a disgusting sexist who once wrote a book about his most prominent accuser, Anita Hill, filled with such starkly false and misleading information and character assassination that he later recanted them. He continued to bother her and write about her after the recantation. Really good guy who's in the Supreme Court. In the Supreme Court. The biggest one. Life is a fucking nightmare. Hold your loved ones tight, cause we're all gonna die. Anyways, continue your story. This is a song I just made up. 
What I'm saying is, this entire circus, this whole fucking clown show, starting back in the 90s with the prelude to the Video Game Ratings Act, up until this Supreme Court hearing, it, it was complete clown shoes. Too big. Every single person, every single person involved is just awful and terrible. And These they wear flower lapels that squirt water into people's faces. Stoking gamers was bad because there was all this rhetoric going around that like they're trying to take away our video games and and they kind of were, yeah. but they were also just like trying to figure like video games are really violent. They are the most violent media that there is. Yep. And I'm sorry, but like if you think that that doesn't affect people and that the stuff in video games doesn't affect people, then like. I, I like I I don't know what to tell you. The whole point of art is that it affects people in some way. Yeah. And so I guess if you think that video games don't affect people or can't affect people, then video games aren't art, and then go fuck yourself. Uh, the people fighting video games were bad and uninformed, like <laughs> Schwarzenegger, Yi. People who blame video games for Columbine, so they don't have to examine the larger cultural narrative of dangerous masculinity and whiteness. Uh, the justices. Hey guys. The highest court in our nation is staffed with horrible people. Scalia's replacement founded like a fascism club. He claims it's a joke, but also like weird, weird how joke. many people weird how many people who joke about being a fascist turn out to just be a fascist. They also have no idea what video games are. They should not be the ones making this decision. So I ask you, when you think about the impact of games in our culture, think about your voice and whether or not it sounds like one of the ones in this story, like the ones of Brown versus Entertainment Merchants Association. It's not Schwarzenegger versus EMA because Jerry Brown became governor in 2010. And that's my story. Is there not a single institution that isn't just run by a bunch of, bunch of fucking fuckers? And it was trying so... Trying to fuck fucking everything up for everybody? And the other thing, too, about this was, like, gamers are the worst. Like, it was so hard to do research for this story. There was uh, the, the Mario Bros. thing. I, I read a guy's uh, piece on it, and he says that the opposition cited the Mario study as, like, a ploy to be like, look, like even the children's games are violent. And then he links to the document citing, the, the court document that cited the study, and it was the pro video game side citing it. Like the guy just lied to Stoke Gamers. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. And so now we have this sick, toxic culture in gaming of people who are like, no, there is no room for debate on whether or not like depictions of certain things and ideas are okay and acceptable. Ugh, and it's everywhere and it's everywhere and it's the worst thing and I hate it. So sometimes we talk about <laughs> stupid, dumb, fucked up stuff because all industries are stupid, but follow your dreams. And we like to follow that up with one, an inspirational follow your dreams message. And two, a little trip down to self-care. A little trip down to self-care corner. Where we're talking about something great that happened to us this week. Yeah. And I think we both have the same one because we threw a friendsgiving. Oh my god, it was so good. And it was wonderful. The end. We had all of our friends over. Liam, you're an incredible cook. Why? And, thank you, sir. And you made some excellent, excellent food. Some very good stuffing. I really enjoyed the mac. Uh, that that turkey was uh, right up my alley. Instead of making a full turkey, I just cooked separate parts of the turkey that you can buy for separate and much cheaper. There's a fact for you. 
Uh, but yeah, it was nice to get away from everything, everything, <laughs> and just chill. Yeah. If you want to get a self care corner read, email mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at mediamagerscast. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps small podcasts like us out. Get in touch with us. Just say hi. We'd love to hear from you in any way, shape, or form. Listen to the other shows on the network. Oh, yeah. Um, There's going to be a new episode of King Me that releases later this week, I believe. Four days from now. Yes. And there's a Sunday morning hangover. There's two. There's another. Look, there's going to be a Sunday morning yeah, hangover here every Sunday now. Get used to it. Yeah. You, 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 you mooks. <laughs> Every Sunday, Eric reads the news to me when I'm slightly hungover. <laughs> and I listen outside the door. And Tom listens outside the door. Because then I can get that exclusive early major cast content <laughs> that you know yeah. everybody's dying listen for. Listen to shows on the network, man. Yeah. And as always, we'll be there for, for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.